Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only, so it doesn't replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice, okay? So, Vince Scully, in the middle of June, the ASX shat itself. The S&P 500 was spanked. Well, it's been drifting down since the beginning of the year. It has, and we were toying with the idea of doing a campfire chat and answering people's questions, and we're finally up to that. And I'm just going to jump in and read some of this stuff. Jessica Marie, is it now a good time to chuck money in stocks if you've already got a really secure income base but only have 50% of your emergency fund saved? So this is the thing we see online, right? Mm-hmm. You see one camp when the stock market goes wild and there's a big fall, for example. It's one, on sale. It's on sale. Well, it's the equivalent of what it was two years ago. Was it on sale two years ago? No, it was just a normal time Mm. in the market cycles. But these two camps emerge. You've got the one camp of, oh my gosh, what do I do? Do I sell everything and protect it? But you've got the other side of this FOMO stuff when everyone's saying it's on sale and it's like, (laughs) do I sell everything and put everything in? It's just, it's a fascinating thing because at the time of recording this, what is it? It's now the 6th of July. We're a bit late on the old microphone. Happy New Year, Glenn. Happy New Year, Vince. You know, on the 6th of July, this is a boring day. There's not these wild conversations in the group like, what should I do? Because it hasn't been in the news. It hasn't been all talked about. So I think we need to just unplug from any social media when it comes to setting our investment strategy. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the market was up 1% or down 1% or did nothing today tells you nothing more than you knew yesterday. Mm. Um, and it's no more indicative of what tomorrow will do than what yesterday did. So if you think you can pick the top or the bottom, um, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. There was a guy in another Facebook group who reshared his post that he sold his super mm-hmm. at the end of last year or something like that, and then he reshared it to say... Was his name Warren? I'm not sure. But he was kind of saying, look, I was right. And... Is he still on cash? Probably. Who knows? But this is the thing. Like, any of these day-on-day, month-on-month, year-on-year events shouldn't rock your strategy. Yeah, if it was the right strategy yesterday... It's still the right strategy today unless your life has changed. Yeah. Yeah, there's another question here from Tim Armitage. If you have spare cash at the moment, does it make more sense to prioritise adding money 
to your offset account instead of, you know, DCAing or putting money into the stock market. Well, if you're making a decision, you ain't DCAing. That's right. But this is the whole thing. You know, that FOMO side of the thing, he may have been um, just happy leaving money on the offset, but something goes on in the market mm. and it actually has us questioning our strategy or it's questioning, oh, should I take care of this opportunity? Or I think it is, no, go back to what you were planning. So, what were you planning two days before yeah. the 2% decrease? So, has, Do your, that. has your plan changed? Mm. Has your goal changed? And if your goals haven't changed, the portfolio or the investments that underlie mm. your achieving that goal shouldn't change. So, um, and the concept that you can cash out and pick the right time to pop back in again is a really tough act to follow because you don't, you don't just have to be lucky once. You mm. have to be lucky twice. And I think it's Peter Lynch said that more money is lost in preparing for corrections than actually in the correction. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just keep your fingers off it. Yeah. Stick to the plan. So if your life's changed, the plan could change. Yes. But just because the market's down doesn't mean your plan should change. Yeah. Taylor said or asked, should you put future employer superannuation can't even say that, but whatever, superannuation contributions into a cash account and wait a while before allocating them or just leave it. Can you time the market? I can't. I can't. Taylor might be able to. She might be the new Warren Buffett. Might be a guy though, Taylor. Could be. T-A-L-O-R. Taylor. I don't know. Maybe they ran out of wise when she was printing her birth suit. Yeah, I'm not sure. Either way, thanks for the question. I mean, lots going on out there. Um, in superannuation land, I'm not really vibing it right now. Are you? I'm feeling better now that I've got my headset on. Yeah. Okay. And we fired up the fire and mm. got the marshies out. Yeah. Um, Jason Dean said, I'm about to start investing and not sure whether to buy shares in both my wife's name or look into a family trust to distribute the incomes. We're both on similar incomes. When would you say it's actually time to consider setting up a family trust for investing if there was some two PAYG income earners? So people that didn't have self-employment or their own business. Well, if you don't have any kids, preferably adult kids mm. or kids who will be adult kids shortly, mm. doesn't actually give you a lot of benefits if you've got similar tax rates and those tax rates are not going to materially change. Um, and it certainly needs to give you a lot of benefits to justify the cost. So if you say, say conservatively, there's $2,000 of admin costs between your accountant and tax returns and stuffing around, you've got to save $2,000 in tax to mm. justify that. And the big advantage is, well, can I distribute this income to somebody on a lower tax rate? Um, you can distribute a little bit to younger kids, but not very much. So you really got to look at adult kids. And I often think, well, would I rather give the tax office 39% of it 
or give my adult boy 100% of it. Hmm, let me think about that one for a minute. But if there was... So, for me, if there was two people in the couple, similar incomes, well... What's the point? Just have a joint investment account. Or or split one. Or have two and... Yeah. And that's what I mean, like, see all these things online and, you know, I've talked about how... You know, I've got a family trust and a self-wealth account and all that stuff. But my situation's different. My family trust is there. I'm self-employed. It owns the shares in the operating company. Exactly. It's yeah. doing the accounts anyway. I mean, if you're self-employed, if you've got a, sorry, not self-employed, if you run a business, um, it probably makes some sense. Yeah. As a useful holding structure for the business, mm. but for an individual or a PAYG couple on the same income without adult kids or parents who don't depend on Centrelink. Mm. Yeah, it's a very It's a pretty niche market. Yeah. And that's it. Like you might have the situation, okay, well, you've inherited significant wealth. Well, you might go, all right, we'll do a family trust. Yep just for the next 100 years or whatever, like mm-hmm. significant wealth. Except it can't be for more than 80. I thought it was 100 in New yeah. South Wales. It's 80, 80 years Is in mo- all jurisdictions except South Australia. Right. Maybe I just rounded up to 100. Yeah, 80, 100. Yeah, so people with trusts, they basically vest after 80 years. Mm-hmm. So good luck to everyone in the future of my trust. Yeah. So I think they get a lot more pressed than they really deserve. Mm-hmm. If you're if you got a job where you are at risk of being sued, mm. makes sense from asset protection perspective. But that's not necessarily about saving tax or saving money. No, it's an asset protection it's about discussion. Not losing the house when you get sued. If you um, say have adult kids, if you have parents who could benefit from it and don't rely on the age pension, there are niches where it makes sense. But for the average Joe with tax rates coming down. Mm. And I think, sure, if you did have some significant wealth come into your life, you won lotto or a big inheritance, sure, you might set it up and then it just gives you the flexibility year on year if one of you wanted to have some leave or something like that or if someone wants to take parental leave for a year or two or or whatever. Sure, it's it can be flexible, but... You've got fluctuating incomes, maybe. Um, yeah, but in the main, like, let's just have a reread of this question. Um, yeah, I'm about to start investing and not sure whether to buy shares in both my wife and my names or look into a family trust. We're both on similar incomes. Now, I would say, Jason, the thing is, it's okay to just start, if you're both on similar incomes... It's okay to either set up a joint account, mm-hmm. as we said, or an account each, depending what you guys want. Yeah. If things change in the future, well, you can then just say, okay, well, we, we will set up a family trust mm-hmm. and just put new money yeah. into that trust. Yeah. And generally, two accounts is more flexible than a joint account because a joint account means that when you sell, each of you sells half, in mm. effect. Whereas if you've got two accounts, you can choose which one to sell from. Yeah. Yep. So a bit more flexibility in having two. A bit more admin, but um, gives you a little bit more flexibility. But most people will not recover the cost of a family trust mm. unless you, you know, have 
it's a very large sum of money. Um, you have adult kids or you do a job that you're likely to get sued in yeah. or you run a business. Yeah, that's right. And for me, I'm doing the accounts of the family trust anyway because it needs to be done as part of me operating yeah. my business. Exactly. Yeah, but – and this is the thing, like – we're pretty much saying there's less of a chance of needing a trust for two PAYG owners, but that doesn't sound sexy and sophisticated in the the other Reddit fire forums That's right. and all the... I mean, there's nothing sexier than paying accounting fees. Mm, yeah, if you like paying accounting fees. Kate Woodbridge, renovate PPOR to increase value mm, mm. or invest the dollars into shares or... in. Or an investment property. Would you want a nicer house, or do you want to make money? Yeah, I and and Kate's tagged Matt Woodbridge. I dare say it's her husband. Let's let Glenn James decide. <laughs> now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'd be I'm not outsourcing. My, I don't think yeah. I'd be outsourcing my renovation decisions to GJ. Well, why not? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've been to GJ's house. Yeah, there was another question here from uh, Glenn James. Vince Scully, drive to Newey, your dog, because uh, we were meant to do this in Newcastle last Saturday, but you didn't come up and I slept till one thirty. But it rained, it rained was, so my car dissolved. Yeah, and I was sick because I slept till one thirty pm so I'm glad you didn't come anyway. But getting back to, what was her name? Kate. Kate. Getting back to Kate's question, renovating rarely, I'm probably going to get caned by our resident property guru here, Mr. Pigeon, but... <laughs> but <laughs> Renovations rarely add more value than they cost. Mm. That's not to say you shouldn't do them. Um, you know, if you want a nicer house, you want air conditioning, you want a pool, you want bigger kitchen, and that's valuable to you, then go right ahead. But don't think about it as an investment. Yeah, I'm not using my house as an investment. Your house is your house is not an investment. Your house is a hedge against rising rate, mm. rent. And if you want to invest, invest. Yeah. So if you want a nicer house? Renovate your house. That's right. So I think I don't know. You know, renovate or invest. Obviously, we've got each person in the relationship has a different <laughs> view. Or invest the dollars into shares or investment property. Now, we will assume that you've got money left over. Okay. Now, if I've got money left over that I don't need in my day-to-day life, it needs to go to work. You buy a new Lexus. I'd buy a new Lexus. Oh, weirdly, we'll come back to that. So you need to work out, do we want a bigger house or not? Do we want a nicer house or not? If it's okay as it is and you're like, oh, if we put an extra room on the top, we'll add 100 grand worth of value. No, we're not doing that. But it could give you $100,000 more lifestyle Exactly. Which could be more valuable to you than $100,000 worth of Vanguard. Yeah. I would say if you want to renovate your home, renovate your bloody home and get on with it mm-hmm. and then invest the rest. Uh, but if you're just like, oh, we've got an okay home, we're okay with it, invest the money into shares or investment property, then you need to think, well, do we want to do shares or an investment property? Or both. Or both. The thing is you would usually use leverage to get into the investment property. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to potentially borrow money unless you've mm-hmm. you know, got 500, 600, not, 700 not if, grand not, rock up. Not if you're Dave Ramsey. Not if you're Dave Ramsey. Vince, 
Dave Ramsey got all his money not by being out of debt, but by telling people to be out of debt. That's right. You've got to remember that. That's right. <laughs> and he actually lost rather a lot of money before he did it by yeah. borrowing too much money. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, Kate, it's a good discussion. And I would actually say uh, you may benefit from a a call with James Millard. He does a goal-setting session, the Defining Sufficient session for many people and you know, they will dig into those lifestyle goals and work out is it a lifestyle play or not. So, yeah, I'd be spending, you know, I don't know how much he charges, four or 500 bucks, but I'd be spending that to get some clarity. Yeah, I mean, one of the most valuable assets is knowing what, what enough is mm. and then developing a plan to get there. Yeah. What age do you reckon you were when you stopped worrying about money? Worrying or thinking? I don't know. I'm not sure I ever particularly worried about it, but I did always have a goal for more, mm. probably until I hit 40. So would you say up until it took you to age 40 to get to a critical mass in your life where you didn't want for much? No, I think it was more about realising what enough was. I mean, I tell the story in the book that, you know, when I... Oh, you just <laughs> slipped that one in. Um and when I graduated, there was a whole bunch of us sat around the pub one night and we all had set this goal to make 25 grand by age 25. Now, that's 25,000 pounds and we're talking 1983 now. So, um, Would that be the equivalent of saying we've got to make 100 grand a year each or 80 grand or Probably something? not too far away mm. from... To put it in perspective, my first job paid 6,900 pounds. Okay, okay, so a substantial of, amount of money. Yeah, quadruple your money. And most of us got there thanks to a whole bunch of inflation mm. and uh, some further study. And I woke up on my 25th birthday and went, is that it? Yeah. So I've achieved this goal. It was, you know, met all those smart tests. You know, it was specific. Mm. It was measurable. It was actionable so I could do something about it. It was... Realistic, so it wasn't outrageous. I just need to get this phone call. Let's see who it is. <laughs> Sorry. Hello, Glenn speaking. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite.
Where were you, Vince? Yeah, Sorry, so, I had to so, take a so, phone call. So this goal, you know, met all the standard tests of what a good goal is. You know, it was specific. Mm. It was measurable. It was actionable. There was something I could do about it. It was realistic. It wasn't. It was a stretch, perhaps, but wasn't outrageous. And it was time bound. And yet, when I got there, I went, "Well, what do I do now?" Mm. And that's because, in hindsight, it took me a decade or more to realise this, is that it was missing the emotional resonance bit. Mm. So there was no way of, uh, no sense of, when I achieve this goal, I will feel X, I will do X, I will be X. Mm. So achieving the goal just said, well, what's the next goal? And, you know, for the next 15 years, I went through this constantly, you know, new year, new goal, more, more, more. And at 40, I realised what enough was. So what age were you when you had Max? I was 38. So a relatively late father. So does that mean I'm going to be a, a late father? Well, you might. I'm 38 and I haven't spawned. Mm-hmm. Well, if you spawn, you might be a late father. Wild. 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 I don't know whether spawning is necessarily good for the climate or the environment. Mm. Well, yeah. All these methane-producing glens running around. Don't know about that. I've just got to reply to this message. Can you say something else? Um, Go on a bit of a rant. A bit of a rant. So, well, I, I, I don't know. Like, so, so the point of all yeah. the point of all of that is that understanding what enough is is probably the most important knowledge you can develop over your life, and the answer is different for everybody. Um, Jack Bogle wrote a book called Enough, which I would recommend that you read. And he tells a story of being at a um, a cocktail party with um, Kurt Vonnegut, the writer. And um, no, I don't think he, I don't think Jack was actually at the cocktail party. But he tells the story of Kurt Vonnegut and somebody else being at a cocktail party and complaining about their their host and he says well you have something that your host will never have and that's enough yeah. and it's very true um, so that's a long way around answering your question about um, when did I stop thinking about money <coughs> and it was probably once I got to the point where I thought I now know what enough is mm. and I have it that doesn't take away the desire to do stuff and to achieve more but it's more about purpose and fulfilment rather than more money. Yeah, because there's that, like, the research that's out there and it probably ends up being about 100K Australian or 80 US. It's like there comes that tipping point where you you earn minimum wage and your life gets better as your income hmm. gets up to, like, 100 grand and then it kind of plateaus, like, because there is that tipping point. There is, but I'm not sure... That it's necessarily a number. Yeah. Um, definitely, there's diminishing returns. Like the difference between making fifty and making twenty-five is much bigger than the difference between making a hundred and making fifty. Yeah. 
But I think the point is not so much how much the number is, but you know what enough is. And enough is not always a number. Yeah, I've, like in my own life lately, I've been thinking, and I'd encourage everyone else to think about this, like, because in terms of financial goals, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of like you, I'm kind of like, I'm meeting them and it's like, uh, but I've, I've got to be like, well, you know what, my ongoing goal now is contentment. Hmm. Like contentment is my goal. And that just removes any money. Yeah, from it's a it's a much undervalued, uh, underrated feeling. Um, I mean, I talk about there being three things when I say enough's not a number. I think there are three components to enough. And you know, it's enough money to sleep at night, enough purpose to get you up in the morning, and enough joy to sustain you through the day. Mm. And so, when I talk to a lot of our members who you know, come in here and say, oh, "I want to fire by the time I'm." 30 or 35 or 40 or whatever, mm. um, that's a goal that needs to be fleshed out. Um, so if you want to retire early because you hate your boss, it could be a really expensive solution. I just, yeah, I, I'm all about options, but it still gets me the whole hardcore, f- I want to fire and I get that it's a movement of people and what if contentment was your goal? Because if you're content, you don't need to strive to getting your fire number. Mm. Like I mean, start- everybody needs to fire. Mm. You, know, you've, you need to convert enough of your human capital into financial capital by the time you're unable or unwilling to work. Now, whether that's 20, 25, 40, 50, 70 is a personal decision, and I'm not sure you can define it with reference to a number whether that number is dollars or that number is age. Yep, yep. Hey, um, while I've got you, um, I'm doing some media this afternoon mm. at uh, 6 p.m. They're calling me. What is it, quarter to five now? And these are the questions they're asking me, so I'll get your take so I can use oh, them. So you can just parrot yeah, it. I'll, Why don't I just do the call for you? Well, you probably could if you wanted to. <laughs> Um, I was almost going to get you to do it. Um, what impact do rising interest rates have on superannuation? Now, that's a really interesting question because there's two ways that can look at it. So, uh, as interest rates go up... Well, I was actually going to say the basic concepts that I'm going to say mm-hmm. and you can tell me okay. if I'm full of crap. <laughs> You're full of crap, Glenn. So, rising interest rates mm-hmm. on superannuation, well... If someone's got a balanced portfolio, right, they will have some assets in there that are defensive, right? Mm -hmm. So like your bank account, you might now get a higher return on the interest rate, right? But the growth portion, money might slowly move out of markets to find some yield Mm -hmm. for less risk. I don't think it's going to have much of an impact, because the underlying companies are still going to be producing dividends and income. Yeah. I mean, you're right that you know, cash will earn more. Um, as interest rates go up, the risk-free rate goes up. And so the expected return that you want from buying a particular asset goes up, which means that the same cash flow is now worth less but you know, are those companies going to do 
better because interest rates have gone up. If you're investing in banks, bank profits are going to go up as interest rates go up. Um, if you're investing in... Discretionary uh, consumables. Maybe it goes down. JB Hi-Fi might go down. Yeah. If you're investing in infrastructure, as the risk-free rate goes up, their return that the regulator allows them to earn goes up, mm. and so they might actually be worth more. So that's the point of having a balanced fund, that you win on the swings and you lose on the roundabouts. Um, but you would certainly expect that as the dislocation of the change from zero sustained rates to rising potentially returning to normal rates, there'll be a lot of choppiness and volatility around in the short term. But, but long term... term, people probably won't notice. That's uh, right. Because the whole thing is portfolios are rebalanced, right? So that's the whole point yeah. when, you know, if one percentage to fixed interest increases a little bit, well, they'll rebalance that and put it into growth and vice versa. So for the year we've just finished, I think we're down about 5% on our growth portfolios and um, I think 23 could be a a very choppy year. But the number of years in which a balanced portfolio overall is negative are actually few and far between. I think it's three since compulsory super came in. Yeah, right. Um, give me one sec. I'll just put some more firewood yeah, on the fire. Put some, put some more firewood on there. But it, it is an interesting one. And the next question, how do global markets impact our superannuation? Well, when they go up. Super goes up and, go down, and super goes down. Super goes up. Super goes up. <laughs> yep. Um, but you know, Australians are increasingly investing overseas. Australia is 2% of the world stock markets. So given the amount of money in super, um, a large chunk of it has to go offshore looking for a home. So rising interest rates in Australia... So if Australian interest rates rise faster than the rest of the world, Australian dollar goes up, your offshore assets are worthless and vice versa. Yeah, there's another question here. Who will be most affected with interest rates increasing? I assume they mean affected in a bad way. Yeah. Because um, affected in a good way is probably retirees mm. because now, yeah. Returns on deposit accounts have gone up, uh, so you can now get one and a half percent on a term deposit. Haven't been able to do that for a long time. Mm. Yeah. Um, negatively, um, probably those with a higher allocation to fixed interest. Is it all doom and gloom? No. Cool. Um. Australian super recorded its biggest fall in returns since the GFC. So is that lowercase a, lowercase s, or capital A, capital S? Capital A, Vince, <laughs> the company. Are other funds likely um, to follow? You would think so. And this will sep- separate the uh, the men from the boys that we've yeah. seen. We've seen a, 
if I'm allowed to say that. Mm. We've seen a lot of so-called balance funds piling into growth assets to soup up their returns and game the league tables. Have you got your phone on you? I don't know. Go get your, go get your phone. Okay, we're back. Vince's got his phone. And more importantly, my glasses. And his glasses. Now, I honestly, because I'm still not well, because I've had this cold and flu, mm-hmm. um, Lizzie's going to call you. I've just given her your number and you can do the media at <laughs> six o'clock. But, uh, I just, I'm just not at my best. I'm fuzzy, Vince, and that's why... I said before, I'm not feeling this. <laughs> You're not feeling the love. <laughs> feeling the love. Sorry, everyone. Have you just pammed off this job to me? I think I have. So she will call you um, to go through it. So just keep your phone on you. Okay. Actually, speaking of um, interest rates going up, I had a discussion in a Facebook group this morning. Mm. One called. Am I allowed to mention the name yeah, of the group? Care. That's not beginning with M. Well, it does begin with an M, but it's not. Yeah, whatever. Men's Finance Advice. Ah, yes. I left that group. <laughs> I used to be an admin it's on it. because you're not a man. In, no, I was just a You're sexual. not the man you used to be. It just was, I don't know, I was sick of it. But anyway, this guy posts and said, uh, do any of you fine blokes, be cool, that one, um, agree we have a depression coming as early as 2023? And if so, what can I do about it? Blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, Someone responds, well, what's the difference between a recession and a depression? I've heard this joke, but keep going. And that a recession is when your mate loses his job. A depression is when you lose yours. Yeah. 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 I've heard that one. I'm not sure there is a technical difference other than one's worse than the other. Yeah. And most people listening here have probably never been through one. Hey, question. Shared equity squeams. Yep. Squeams. Um, oh, she's going to call you now. So just be ready. I better turn the volume on then. Yep, shared equity schemes. Shared equity schemes for first home buyers, pros and cons. Now, the Labor government announced this pre-election for 10,000 spots Mm -hmm. and they'll basically buy 40% of your house. Surely it's a good thing because we've got to try something to get people into their own homes mm-hmm. right like we like if max your son was like oh dad should i do this what would you be telling him yeah this is an interesting concept that's been around for some time there was a lot of work done by the menzies institute before the gfc and um it it sort of depends on a few things so if if you're prepared to accept that having the benefits of ownership in terms of the you know, ability to stay there, live where you want, get the sort of house that you want, and you don't necessarily need to own it, that is, when you die, mm. it doesn't really matter whether you own 40% of it or 60% of it or 100% of it because you've got your use out of it. And the only person who's going to be affected is your heirs. Um, then it's probably a good thing. Um, if you're going into this because you want to eventually own it, 
it can become a bit of a Ponzi scheme because it only works if property prices go up because you generally the way it works is that the co-owner, in this case the Australian government, the Australian government I'm not sure I want Chris Bowen sitting in my living room, but there you go. Sound uh, like a bloody um, liberal propaganda ad <laughs> you do. Or, in, or indeed Christopher Pine. Yeah. Um, he's a fixer. No, uh, but he's... Um, he's also retired. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But it was the first name that came to, yeah. to mind. But the point is, if you want to eventually get out of it and end up owning a property, not necessarily that property, you are relying on property prices constantly rising. And if they haven't gone up by enough that the profit on 40% of it is enough to pay the deposit on a 100%, you're not actually getting ahead. And I'm not sure how many Australians are yet mentally ready to own the house with the government. So it'll be interesting to see how well the take-up is. It, so it I, comes back to personal goals? Yeah, but that's right. That's so why it's called personal finance? If you want to buy a fixer-upper, probably doesn't not. doesn't work that well. Like, they're really going to be good for newish homes that you don't want to renovate. Yeah. Because if you want to do anything, they're going to need to be involved. Yeah. And it could just be an extra annoyance. Yes. And how you value the contribution is pretty hard. So. And I think it'd be interesting to see the details, like what do they say is works? Like, can I repaint it without hmm. permission? And are you going to want a share of the profit? Because obviously painting it potentially increases the sale price. So if you're going to spend 100% of the cost of doing the job and only get 40% of the gain, does that really work? So you've know, got to come back to what outcome are you trying to achieve? And it may not be the most efficient way of government to support increased housing. Yeah, I, I I would just say it's one of these things, like not every government policy is for every person. Yeah. And if you are saving to buy your first home, look at it, consider the pros and cons yourself. There'll be fact sheets, you know, do a clarity call with John. If you're only, I'll make a number up, six months away from getting a bigger deposit after you've spoken with your mortgage broker, is it worth just renting for another six months yep. and just buying 100% on your own? Yep. So I think it's just another potential option mm. to have. And it's not going to be available for very many people. There's 10,000 spaces. Last year we had, what, 150,000 first home buyers? Has she called yet? No. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, this comes back really to why do you want to own a property? If it's about ensuring tenure and fixing your housing costs, then it achieves both of those goals. But if you're doing it to... Oh, here we go. All right. Build wealth. Of Nathan. Good afternoon. Vince Scully speaking. I think what we need to do... Um, you need a hot whiskey. I'm. I think we should just stop this now because it's been 35 minutes. We might just put it up as a an MP3 or something on Dropbox for people to listen to, or not put it up in the actual podcast because it's. I just not at my best. I'm dead. Um, so yeah, everyone. I'm 
ill and I need to go because I'm... Do you need to hit the road? Or you... Yeah, I think so. I'm just bloody buggered. Just, are you okay <coughs> to hit the road? Sorry? Are you okay to hit the road? Yeah, I think I'll just... Um... Yeah, anyway, I'll get you to just clean this up, Nathan. We'll just put it up as a bonus in the Facebook group only or something like that. Um, unless you guys listen to it and think it's long enough. We probably did 40 minutes. So we might be able to go up. Okay, bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.